Are you ready for God's word? Are you? Now I'm going to ask you one last question. Were you blessed by, by Brother Brady? I have, to, I have to hold back on saying Pastor Brady. Brother Brady, were you blessed by him? Amen. Amen. Let him know that. Let him know how blessed you are. You know, I said this in first service. We are a blessed house, and that's because we have men and women that are able to teach God's word. And, and we are growing up more and more every single year. You watch uh, Brother Arthur Winfield. He's going to be a dynamic teacher of God's word. He's, he's, uh, he's in training. I shouldn't even say he's in training. He's ready to launch off the pad already and just go, go for it. There, we have a lot of, of, of good men and women that can teach God's word. And that's something we should be proud of as a church. There was once a time, my wife said this in first service, well, we couldn't get away because we didn't have anyone to fill the pulpit. And I never took pride in that. I always saw that as a shortcoming. I always saw that as a place that we needed to be strengthened in. And God is doing a work. Eric, you need to get, get ready, buddy. You need to get ready. I'm calling out some folks. There's some folks in the, in the congregation that I still know have that within them. And so uh, let's, let's, get, let's, get, let's get to the message. The title of today's message is entitled the, it's entitled the Holiness of God. That's what I've entitled the message. But the series is Living a Holy Lifestyle. Now, the reason I entitled this this way, and I really labored over it, because I want to I pivot. Last, last uh, sermon series, we talked about I love my church, or the reason I love my church. It was all about the church. Right now, I want to pivot as a church towards deeper things. Touching those spiritual aspects of God that we sometimes take for granted. We have to be careful with what's called the trap of familiarity. To become familiar with something is good in some ways, but it can be very dangerous in other ways. When you become too familiar with your boss, what can happen? You can lose respect. You can begin to not honor. You can begin to not take what he says uh, with the matter of importance in which he wants it or she wants you to take it. And therefore, you could become, you could, you could set yourself up for failure. What if you become too familiar with God? Then it is possible to start treating God like a homie. You start treating God like one of your homeboys. Can I tell you, God is not one of your homeboys. He's not just a friend you go kick it with. God is the amazing, awesome creator and king of this universe. He is outside of time and space, and there is none like him. We cannot fathom how great he is. We get a glimpse, and we are brought to our knees. And so we have to remember that because to become too familiar with a concept like his holiness is to miss who God is. Because listen, if you want to touch God, you cannot touch God without touching his holiness. We'll talk more about that in a second, but... To touch God or to know God is to know that he is holy. And he's not holy the way we think of holiness. He is, the Bible says it, holy, holy, holy. That means it's not your thought of holiness. It's not even holiness among holiness. It's a transcendent holiness that's out of this world. There's nothing in this world that can be compared to his awesome holiness. Now you say, you say God is holy, then what is the holiness of God? I want you to write this down. The holiness of God, a good starting point. Now, now we're going to talk about this for the, almost the entire month. But the, the holiness of God, I think, is marked with consistency. Write that down. Because so many times we... We think of holiness, but, but what, you, what comes to mind when you think of holiness? You just think, of, oh man, something that's just really, really clean. Something that's perfect. How about consistent? What if you, what if you had a, a baseball player that always pitched strikeouts? Didn't do anything else but strikeouts. Right down the middle. Foo, foo, foo. Foo, 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 foo. Strikeouts. 
Oh, the game would be no fun, right? He, what if he always hit home runs? What if she always hit home runs? Every time with the bat, pat, bat it a thousand. Would that be perfect consistency? Can I tell you God is perfectly consistent, meaning there is no changing with him. I love what Pastor Melissa read. I didn't tell her to read that. She read that on her own. That's the power of the Holy Spirit leading. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God. I do not change. Some of us can be scared by that, but can I tell you that should bring you a tremendous amount of comfort too. It should bring you a tremendous amount of comfort, just like when parents are consistent with their children. One of the most, one of the most beneficial things you can do if you want to raise good, uh, uh, if you want to raise good children that are, that are integrated and confident and, and also have a lot of natural self-assurance is to be consistent with them. When you provide consistency with them, then they know where they stand with you and they can focus on being the best that they are called to be. Can I tell you, God is perfectly consistent with you so that you can count on him and not have to worry about him. You just worry about trusting him and walking by faith. And so God's holiness means that he's consistent. He doesn't change his mind. He won't tell you one minute that he loves you and then the next minute changes his mind and says, you know what, I don't love you so much anymore. You know, that's really common in today's world. In today's world, someone will love you on Facebook one minute and hate you the next. You don't have to worry about that with God. If God says he loves you, he loves you with an everlasting love. That means his love is perfect. It doesn't change. You cannot add to it, nor can you subtract from it. It's perfect. You can't improve it, nor can you diminish it. Well, why is that comforting to me? It's comforting because it's, it doesn't depend on you. See, if I could improve God's love, then it would make me more powerful. Or at least equal with him. But I don't, I don't improve God's love, nor can I diminish it. That means I need, you to, I need you to write this down. God's love is perfect for you. He will never, and there's nothing you can do to have him love you any less or any more. That's important because for some of us, we need to settle that once and for all in our mind and in our hearts that, listen, my actions don't have God loving me less. Some of us feel that if I mess up, then God will love me less. Some of us feel that if I check the boxes and I do everything right, then I earn more love with him. And some of us are under the wrong impression that somehow we're walking around with extra credit because we've done good. And so we need to be careful with this kind of mentality because it doesn't understand the holiness of God. And today, before you can live holy, you need to understand where holy, the foundation of holiness and the holiness of God. And so how important is holiness? Well, if you read in the book of Matthew, Jesus addresses how important holiness is. This is his inaugural speech, so to speak. He steps onto the scene as Messiah. He's been baptized and he steps on with what's called the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? Blessed are what? The meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so he begins to give kind of like the bill of rights for the kingdom of God. Kind of what's most important for the kingdom of God. He's setting up a kingdom. And you know what's so interesting? They're not what the world would value. The world would probably say blessed are the ambitious. He says blessed are the meek. He says Blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are those that are rich. And so it's really, really interesting that he, he, he highlights righteousness twice in that inaugural speech. And then at the end of the speech, he says this, watch this. He says, you therefore must be perfect. One version says, must be holy as your heavenly father is holy. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What is he saying? The goal is to have communion and relationship with God, but God cannot have relationship with something that's not perfect. So if you want relationship with God, then you have to be what? 
important is perfection to God? It's everything. It's everything. Do you see why Peter says this to the church? For you are a what? A holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be holy. He goes on to say this in 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So he says, be holy. This is important. And you know, as we talk about holiness and introduce the concept of holiness, you can't go very far without at least hitting on the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah talks about God's holiness. And uh, just to give you some tidbits on the prophet to set it up, let's talk about who Isaiah was. Isaiah was a man of God. He was the first of the major prophets. Who were the major prophets? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. He being the first. He was also the first of the 12 latter prophets. You might say there was 16 latter prophets or 16 prophets, and he was the first. Why is it significant to know that he was the first? Because God was trying to highlight something in Isaiah. How do I know God was trying to highlight something in Isaiah? He is the most often quoted prophet of all the prophetic books. He's in the New Testament. He's the most quoted. Not only that, but he is also the most quoted of all the Old Testament books, second only to Psalms. And Psalms was written by more than just David. And so you, you understand that, that Isaiah is an important piece of the gospel of grace here because he's quoted often. Isaiah received his call from God in the temple of Jerusalem in the 8th century BC. It was during, during a very turbulent time for Israel. What do we mean by that? The kingdom had been divided. What do you mean the kingdom had been divided? Israel was one whole nation under David and under Solomon. But because Solomon fell away from the Lord, why did he fall away from the Lord? Because he didn't practice and he didn't follow his own wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom, or the beginning of wisdom, what does the Bible say? Is the fear of the Lord. So if you want to start with a good definition of wisdom is fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What it means is to have an awestruck and an awestruck reverence for him. That means he's not your homeboy. He's not just a guy you kick it with. He is holy, awesome, great, magnificent, and I get the privilege, Lord. I get the privilege of having an audience with you. That means I don't go and just start dumping on you. I don't go and just talk to you any old way. You say, but pastor, I've heard that you can pray to God any old way. Yeah, you can pray to God any old way, but I want you to understand that some of us aren't getting very far because we treat God any old way. And so what I'm trying to get us to understand is real wisdom is the fear of God, having a reverence for him and understanding that he is awesome. He is awesome. And you say, okay, well, what did Solomon do? Solomon started worshiping other gods through the wives that he, that he married. And, and the Lord came back to him and said, I gave you wisdom, but you didn't follow it. You didn't fear me with all your heart. And because of that, I'm going to split the kingdom. And I'm going to take it from you. I'm only going to leave a remnant with your line because of my promise to your, to your father, David. And because of my love for your father, David, I won't do it in your lifetime. But as soon as you die, and four days after he died, his son, Rehoboam, his son, Rehoboam, lost 10 of the northern tribes to Jeroboam. Now, here it is. The northern kingdom of Israel, comprised of 10 tribes, rebelled under Jeroboam against Rehoboam. And Judah was left with just themselves and Benjamin. They became the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians because they failed to honor God and and respect his holiness. And that was in 722 B.C., according to 2 Kings 17. Exiles 
to Assyria, were absorbed into the culture, and they lost their identity. They are often referred to or called the 10 lost tribes of Israel. So you've heard of that, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Why am I saying all of this? Because I want to give you a little bit of history on Isaiah. Now, Isaiah comes into this framework, and he's, he's prophesying to Judah under these conditions, and he's the first one that God uses, and God uses him to highlight his holiness. Because before you can come back to God, before you can have a relationship with God, before you can touch God and his heart, you have to touch his holiness. You have to. And this is what Isaiah emphasizes. God is named the Holy One of Israel 28 times. That's his favorite way of referring to God, the Holy One of Israel. What do you think he's trying to highlight? God's holiness. Now watch this. The theme of Isaiah is justice and righteousness. Now you're going to have to take some notes here. Holiness is a big concept and it's marked by two sub-concepts. So if you have holiness and you want to outline it, put two more points. Now these points will be sub, will be broken down into two points themselves. So there will be four points under holiness. Holiness, and then you have what? Love and, and God's perfection. Okay? So you have God, you have love, and then you have love is broken down into two parts, and that is grace and mercy. Now, what is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve, right? So when Jesus gives you heaven, that's grace because you don't deserve heaven. So that's getting a gift that you couldn't earn. You didn't deserve it. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Watch, this is the way mercy and grace work together in God's love. Watch this. I deserve hell, but in God's mercy, he doesn't give it to me. I don't deserve heaven, but in God's grace, he gives it to me. So I don't get hell and I get heaven. That's the goodness of God's love. Mercy and grace working together. Now, what about God's perfection? His character, his perfect character. You want to highlight justice and what? Righteousness. Justice and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. Now, the theme in Isaiah is justice and righteousness. Justice refers to a rule of law or retributive justice. Retribution is found in that word. What is retribution? What is retribution? Now, I know this sounds like a, like a, like a, a lecture, but I need you to grab some of these concepts. Retribution, if you're talking about God's perfection, is this. You will, you will pay what? Retribution or a punishment for what you did wrong. That means the rule of law is important to God. And what Isaiah is saying is, I have laws and you have been willy-nilly about them and you have been ignoring them. You have not been holding to what I say is important. And so Isaiah says, come back and I will bless you. But be, come on now. But if you fail to touch my holiness, if you take me too familiar, I will get your attention, says God. And so the rule of law is important in any nation. Now, before you think I'm being political, consider my complexion. The rule of law is important, okay? Because it's important to God. It's what, it's what creates order. See, God is a God of order, authority. The enemy is the one that brings what? Chaos, anarchy, no order, rebellion. He wants to lead us in rebellion against God. And so Isaiah says, we need to have 
this rule of law. But watch what he also highlights, righteousness. Righteousness refers to being personally upright and mindful of the poor. See, this is called distributive justice. Distributive justice means this. The people in a society, how are they cared for? Are there favorites? Are they the haves and the have-nots? That doesn't mean that you make everyone equal. What it does mean is that everyone is, has the equal opportunity. Do you see where our founding fathers grabbed some of their concepts? The rule of law is important. What? The right to what? To pursue happiness, to earn a living, to be treated equally under the law as anybody. Even if you have a lot or you have a little, you are. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. Because people were, were, were doing wrong. And Isaiah is saying, whoa, this matters to God, guys. This matters to God because we are supposed to reflect him as our king. We are his people. We can't just be doing any old thing. So, so Isaiah encounters God in a conversion experience. What's a conversion experience? It's when you meet God and you're never the same. Anyone in here have a conversion experience at one point in their life? Watch this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the entire temple. What a sight. Isaiah is saying there, I saw Jesus Christ, not the broken man on a cross, not the lamb who, who is a baby in a manger anymore, but I see the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his rightful throne and the entire robe of his train. That's how awesome he is. It fills the whole temple. Can I tell you, I love Mercy Me. How many of you got, got a chance to go see Mercy Me yesterday? He, they are an awesome group. And one of their biggest hits is what? I can only, I love that song, but I always laugh just a little when I hear it. Because he says, I can only imagine what it would be like. Something like that. When I, when I what? Walk by his side when I see my Lord. Will I what? Will I run? Will I jump? Will I sing? Will I laugh? What will I do? Can I tell you what you'll do? The same thing the New Testament says you'll do. The same thing Isaiah did. It's when you see the awesome holiness of God. You he created you. And there's something in you that will compel you on your face. Listen to what Isaiah says. Above it stood a seraphim, which, oh, uh, where was it at? Verse two, above it stood seraphim, which one, each one had six wings. With two of their wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with the other two, they flew. And one cried to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Can I tell you something when a Hebrew, I mean, in the Hebrew culture, when you want to emphasize something, you say, holy, holy, or king of kings, Lord of lords. But when you say it three times, you're saying there's nothing like it, nothing like it. And here, Isaiah is saying that the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And the posts of the doorway were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am what? Undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the thongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. Now I need you to understand, why did he touch his mouth? Because Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
Anyone find that interesting? Am I the only one that reads the Bible and goes like, why did you say that? I like, I do that all the time. I'm like, why, why lips? How to say hands? How to say heart? How to say mind? How many of you have an unclean mind? You know, I think things that are goofy sometimes, some are just outright crazy. I got to be like, Lord, lead me not into temptation, right? And deliver me from evil because my mind will lead me astray. But he says lips. Well, who was he kissing? <laughs> right? No, no, no. Listen, that, that, that'll make sense later. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, but here, here, God sends one of the angels to touch his mouth with the coal and, and watch what happens. Now, I need you to understand in this verse, the Bible gives us the indication that Isaiah is not talking to God like this. He is on his face and he can barely see the train of his robe. And it fills the entire temple. Why does he focus on the robe? Because he's down on his face. And he, God is shining with all his glory. And if he looks too long on him, he'll be blind like Paul was for three days. And here he is. And listen to what the angel says to him. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. This is God saying, your iniquity, your sin, this is a conversion experience. He saw the Lord. He put his faith in God. And in a moment, he confessed his sin. How did he confess it? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Can I tell you, you got more than unclean lips. But that's all he could say at that moment. Can I tell you, when you first come to God, sometimes you don't know all your sin. But God forgives it all. Why? Because he knows it all. And your, your salvation is not best on how good you confess. It's on how good he is. Can you say that again? Your salvation is not based on your good confession. It's not based on how good you repent. It's based on how good he is and how holy he is because he deserves the glory and all of salvation is holy of God that no one can take from him the glory. It's his. It's his. And listen to this. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? You know why I know this is a uh, conversion? Because immediately he commissions him. See, when you get saved, you should be on the great commission. Jesus said, you're saved, now go for me. If you haven't gone, you may not be saved. If you're still sitting, you may not be saved. Because when you are saved, something changes and your heart now beats for your king. Why? Because it's his blood that flows in you. He gives you a new heart and what's important to him becomes important to you. You go, pastor, I just don't, I've never made that connection. You may not be saved. The reason I tell you this, because many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never the, the word no is like a husband and a wife. We never were intimate. You never gave me your heart. My robe never filled the temple of your heart. See, Paul says, do you not know that when you unite with a prostitute, when you unite in sexual immorality, that you bring the temple of, you bring that into the temple of God. You are the temple of God and you have the very spirit of Jesus Christ living within you and the robe of the train of his robe should fill your entire temple. And he says, who shall I, who shall I send? And listen to it, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Is anyone feeling that in their heart? God, here am I. After all you've done for me, I'm ready. Put me to work, God. Put me to work. That way when somebody comes up to you and says, brother, can you help here? Well, you know, I got to pray about it. Well, I just don't know. I just, I just, you know, I'm really busy. The kids have sports. I just have all this... I'm not trying to get on you. I'm trying to help you if you let me. 
I'm trying to help you if you let me. I'm trying to bless you if you let me. God wants to bless your life. And you're telling the king of glory, well, I just don't know, you know. I'm kind of busy. And God's going, yeah, you're busy? You're busy. Okay. No, no, really, let's think about this. This is why the Bible says this in the book of Psalms, that our very worship should be a worship remembering his holiness. Now, something I haven't connected for you that's about to come clear is that I, I, actually, I actually constructed two beams for you that holiness rests on, the beam of love and God's perfection. Now watch, God's perfection separates us from God. God's love come down, comes down and reunites us. Watch this. In the book of Psalms, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. That means we should remember his holiness. You know what his holiness represents? The cross of Jesus Christ. That means his love, his perfect grace and mercy, and his what? Justice and righteousness intersecting at Calvary and saving you and me. And because, watch this, the cross of Jesus Christ satisfied the holiness of God. What do you mean the holiness of God? That means God is perfect in his what? Righteousness and justice. And the moment you sinned, you were separated. But God is also perfect in his love for you. And he didn't throw you away. He made a way for you where there seemed to be no way. Where there seemed to be no way, he made a way, is what the Bible says. Now watch this. So the cross of Jesus satisfies the perfect holiness of God. That's what happens. What do we mean by that? I mean that, listen to this, in Hebrews 9, 26, the Bible says, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why did Jesus come? To put away your sin, to put away my sin, to put away our sin, to put away all the sin of those who claim him as king of glory, to put away sin. This is important because many will say, well, there's more than one way to salvation. Listen, there's only one door to salvation and his name is Jesus because only the cross of Jesus can satisfy the holiness of God. Wait, how do you get that? Well, read in your Bibles with me. He then would have had to suffer often, <coughs> excuse me, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What am I saying here? Give me one second to drink this water and I'll tell you. I heard Brady drink four of these. Who counts that? Who counts that? Somebody told me, Brady drank four of those waters. Better not be my Fiji. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He can drink them all. Listen, he has appeared to put away. Now watch, who's doing the putting away? See, if I put something away for you, it may or may not be there. If I do it for you, David, who knows if it gets done right? I may not put enough away for you. I may, I, I may put it in the wrong place. I may not be able to deal with the sin the way God, but what if, but, but can a perfect God do it perfectly? This is what I'm trying to get to you, that God has put your sin away. This is why the author of, he, of Romans says this, and this is the apostle Paul says, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through that one man, who is that one man? He's going to tell us in a little bit. But watch this. He says, one person's sin caused all people to what? Die. That's what he says. Death reigned through that one man. 
Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's... Now watch, the man is capitalized here. We're talking about not just an ordinary man. The first, the offense, what's an offense? An offense is something I did wrong to someone. Who did the wrong? Adam. Who did he wrong? God. So when you wrong someone, who do you have to make retribution to? You make it to anybody or do you have to go to the one that was wronged? God was wrong, so his, he needed to be satisfied. That's why he sent, who, what is the only thing that can satisfy God's perfection? Perfection. That's why it cannot be Muhammad. That's why it cannot be Confucius. That's why it cannot be Buddha. That's why it cannot be you just thinking better. It has to be the perfect substitute of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and saying, I will take the sin for them, God. I will take the sin for them. Now watch this. Through one man's offense, judgment came. That's not fair, God. You are holding me accountable for what Adam did? That's not fair. We'll keep reading. And through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. That's not fair either. Can I tell you? That's not fair either because Jesus gave you what you didn't deserve and kept you from what you did deserve because he is righteous and salvation is holy in him. You say, well, that's not fair. Can I tell you that favor isn't fair? Favor isn't fair. I experienced this just the other day when we were coming back from and we were stopping to eat and uh, I walk up there and my wife and I had made a plan. This was the plan. I'm going to go get a sandwich and you go get something else and we bring it back and we split it and we eat. How many of you know if she's getting her sandwich, I better come back with something. You know, I, I better come back with something. So I go up to the counter and the guy's just ignoring us and it's me and this other man. And uh, I don't know if it was a racial thing. I don't know. But I came up to the counter. I'm Hispanic and he's not. The guy behind the counter, I think he's Hispanic. And so he's angry because he's been trying to close for 20 minutes and people keep coming up. So he says, we're closed, man, I'm done. Got me boy. He says, hey, hey, you got to go somewhere else. And so this guy is in front of me and he says, well, I really wanted some of that. And then he looks at me and I go, hey, brother, mira, sabes que? Can you just, dame lo que tienes. Lo que tengas, nomás dámelo. You don't have to do anything else to it, man. Just put it on a plate. I'll eat it just like it comes, bro. He's like, I got you. He gave me the biggest slice. He put it on a plate, handed it over the top. This guy's looking like, what just happened? And I look at him, and he looks at me, and I look at the other dude. I go, thanks, bro. And he sat there like, he didn't ask. I asked. I had a connection. That's how it is when you have a connection with Jesus Christ. When you ask him into your heart and you have a connection with Jesus Christ, it ain't fair. It ain't fair because this is what God does. He imputes his righteousness onto you. And he says, I no longer see him like one of the rest. I see him like my son. He walks like my son. He talks like my son. He is my son. Therefore, you are no longer on the wrong side of holiness. You are on the right side of the cross. And being on the right side of the cross means that you have the righteousness of Christ. That means when you pray, he sees you with that righteousness. When you ask, you have authority to ask. That's why the Bible says when you start to pray, you are ushered into the throne room of grace. Think about that with me for a second. 
Think about how that will set you free in your prayers. Read with me the next passage in chapter six. Watch this. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are what? Not under the law, but under grace? Can I tell you, this is not a license to sin. This is a reason to live for righteousness. Because when you know how much God loves you and you feel full of that love and you're excited because you cannot believe that someone has done such a great miraculous thing for you, you can't wait to live for him. That's what it does for you. But this is what I'm trying to tell you. Watch this. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that through you, uh, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is what he's saying. He's saying very, very clearly, the obedience of Jesus Christ saved you, not your obedience. So quit thinking it's something I do to get in good grace. It's God that gave you the grace. All you have to do now is operate in it. Because that other way of thinking will have you trying to do, and God is trying to tell you, get your hands off the wheel. I don't want to be a co-pilot. I want to be the pilot. Sit there and let me take you through life and show you amazing things. You keep going, no, 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 but, but, but watch, Pastor. This is the thing. When I sin, I feel bad. And so then that affects my prayers. Yes, I know that. That's because the enemy keeps trying to make you a slave to Adam. Keeps, wants to keep you in the mindset that somehow you still have to earn it. See, Paul kept insisting to the Colossian church, it's already done. Think about this with me for a second. He stands outside of space and time. And the Bible says that you are under lock and key, sealed by the Holy Spirit, held in the righteousness of Christ in the hand of God, outside of space and time. It's already done. Paul says, Paul puts it this way, you are a new creation. The old is gone. You have been transferred from death to life. You say, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. But when I sin, I don't feel like I'm saved. That's why the Bible says you have to live by faith. The just, just is what? Satisfaction of the cross, what? May justified you and it satisfied the holiness of God. And so you are now just by God's grace, right? Right? Now watch this. You are just by God's grace. Now the just shall live by faith. For by grace we have been saved through faith. Therefore you stand in faith and say, it's already been paid. But I still have to confess, that's for your benefit, not for God's. God's already forgiven you. You need to learn to forgive yourself and get a new mindset. Get the mind that is in Christ. Let it also be in you. Christ knew who he was in the Father. I am perfectly aligned in God. Why? Because this is not a physical thing I'm doing. It's a spiritual, holy matter that Jesus Christ performed at the cross. You keep telling me, but pastor, it can't be that easy. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ died for you before you were even born and he died for your sins. He nailed them to the cross. He nailed them to the cross. And this is the way the enemy wants you to think because if you start thinking, well, well, well man, I'm living good, therefore I must be in God's good grace. You can't improve on God's love by your actions. Well, but I, I please him more. Yeah, you can please him more, absolutely. And you can bring him more glory, yes. 
But you have to get that mindset out of the way that somehow your sin diminishes your relationship in the way that you stand. The way you stand with God is in perfect righteousness. And this is the thing. When we are confident of that, then we can say earnestly before God, God, I messed up, but thank you because you already forgave me. Now teach me to have a new mindset so that I understand I don't operate in the old. I am new. And the, and the work you started, you are faithful to complete. You started a good work. I'm not comfortable with this sin. Why? Because you purchased me at a high price. But I'm not falling in and out of grace. I'm always in your grace. And because I'm in your grace, I have the power to operate, not in my strength, but in your strength. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Why? Because you're not having me do it. You're saying, sit and let me show you. So Holy Spirit, begin to operate in me. This is important. This is important because too many of us tend to think this way. You have sin and you have righteousness. When do you have, what do you have more confidence in? Notice how quiet we are. Now watch this. You have Adam and you have Jesus. Which one do you have more confidence in? This is what Paul is explaining here. This is where I end. Some of us are struggling a lot in life. And I started thinking about this after Pastor Andrew's message. You know how many people struggle with depression and anxiety and stress and all of these things? And I truly think it it comes from not knowing who God is. And not knowing how much he loves you. Because when you start thinking in this mindset that somehow I have to earn it, or oh, I failed, or oh my gosh, now I'm going to fall short, and, and, and now God is, is upset with me, and I, I'm kind of always fluctuating in grace, always fluctuating in grace, then it produces fear. And John tells me that what? The solution for fear, how do you cast out fear, is with love. You have to know that God loves you perfectly perfectly. If you gave your heart to him and you had that salvation experience, meaning you saw the Lord and you understood you needed him. And by faith, you said, forgive me, God. I claim you, God, as my king. Then he started a good work. But more than that, he gave you life that cannot be undone. You cannot fall in and out of righteousness. God is perfect. His holiness is perfect. He's not going to take it back every time you do something wrong. More importantly, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on him and the finished work at the cross. And so you'll get further in your faith because that actually is faith. To say, God, it's done. Help me to realize that it's already finished. Help me to realize that that this has no hold on me and help me to live supernaturally and not in the flesh. And the only way I can do that, God, is to give you glory and remember the holy work of Jesus Christ. See, this is where it all starts to make sense, where Jesus said, my love casts out all fear. If any man be in me and I in him, he can do He can do. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And the enemy wants you to not walk by faith. He wants you to constantly be thinking like, where am I at? Where am I at? Where am I? No, no, settle that. If you're in Christ, it's done. Watch this. For by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. This is not of yourself, that no man may what? Boast. But this is the work of God. For you are God's what? Workmanship or masterpieces created in Christ Jesus from the beginning of 
to do good works. You're here. The yoke is light. That's what it means. Die to yourself. Trust God. Walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. We'll talk more about that next week. But right now, I just want to invite you up to pray. Maybe you're here today and you need salvation. You need salvation. You need, I'm going to ask you to stand. You want to say, Lord, I need to be saved. I'm going to ask you to come up and pray with one of these brothers. They each will show you how to be saved. Any one of them can. Guys with guys, girls with girls. Maybe you're here today and you've been saying, man, this message is perfect because the enemy's been messing with my mind. And now I know that it's finished, that God has me, that his holiness has been satisfied and that I don't have to satisfy it that way. I'm going to live for him, not in my strength, but in his strength. I just want to pray for it. I'm going to ask you to come up and pray. Maybe you need to pray for someone in your family who's sick or struggling. Would you come up and pray? Maybe you need to pray for your, come on up, come on up. Maybe you need to pray for a financial situation. Come up and pray. Maybe you need to pray for whatever it is. Don't let anything stop you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would begin to prick our hearts with the need we should bring to you. Prick our hearts. Lord, those that need salvation, I'm going to ask you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit to give them courage to come up right now. Right now, don't let anything stop you. I'm going to ask you to come up. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask if you want prayer, just come on up. In Jesus' name, Lord.